0: Educating by sharing our From the Trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise. Balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home.
1: Today on the Practical Preservation uh, podcast, we have William Woise Weaver. Described as the Merlin of American Regional Cookery, William Weiss Weaver is an internationally known food historian and the author of 17 books. He is a rare four-time winner of the prestigious IACP Julia Child Cookbook Awards and his most recent gold medal going to Culinary ephremia, a beautifully illustrated survey of old food advertising materials. His 1993 award-winning cookbook, Pennsylvania Dutch Country Cooking, has been included in the anthology, A Hundred Great American Cookbooks of the 20th Century. Weaver's Dutch Treats, Heirloom Recipes for Farmhouse Kitchens, was published by St. Lynn's Press of Pittsburgh in September 2016 and a new edition of his classic heirloom vegetable gardening has been published by the quarto press with new photos and expanded text in may it received the 2019 award for excellence from the american council on botanical and horticultural libraries dr weaver received his phd in food Ethnography. is that correct
2: no ethnography
1: ethnography from the Uni- university college dublin ireland the first degree of its kind to be awarded by that university. And if now, curator emeritus of the Roughwood Seed Collection of Heirloom uh, Food Plants at the historic Lamb Tavern in Devon, Pennsylvania, called the Walden Pond of Heirloom Seeds, the Roughwood Seed Collection provides rare limited edition seeds online at org and through the Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company at rareseeds.com. Dr. Weaver is presently working on a two-volume study of the medieval foods of Cyprus. His book on Pickling with Heirloom Vegetables, called The Roughwood Book of Pickling, will be published by Rizzoli this coming September 24th. It is now available for pre-orders online at amazon.com. So thank you for uh, for joining us. I know I saw the... um, Um, advertisement, I guess would be a word for it, of the uh, heirloom seed workshop you were doing at Landis Valley. And I I thought, oh, that would be interesting for the podcast. And then I saw that you also – uh, republished the Quaker Woman's Cookbook. And I was so excited because I, I actually have that on my bookshelf right in front of my, my desk because I use it often um, for our newsletters. So yes. well, thank you very, for, for joining us. I was excited.
2: And thank you for having me. Actually, that
1: yeah.
2: Quaker Woman's Cookbook has sort of taken off a, a life of its own because um, it's so full of information on you know how to run a farmhouse in the 19th century. That a lot of people use it. There even uh, there's even advice in there on what color paint to put, to use in your kitchen. It, I mean, it's really great.
1: Yes, yes. All, all the things, all, all the things that we don't think of. The, the, all the work that went into <laughs> to running a non-modern household. Right.
2: <laughs> also, I mean, and there are also very charming recipes like. Um, how to make ice cream with snow, that kind of thing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, um so I, I and and just uh, I I don't think that I shared this with you when we were setting up the, the interview, but I have I went to Culinary Arts School um and then I um uh came into preservation through the family business so i i i really enjoy talking about food and and preservation so i, I this is very Ooh. exciting for me well <laughs>
2: so. i mean the uh the crossover of those two are very important because i mean i can't think of any historic house where the kitchen isn't probably the most important room
1: <laughs> oh yes yes that that is very true so how did you get started in um, culinary history and heirloom seed preservation?
2: Well, uh, that's, that's a two-pronged question because,
1: okay.
2: um, first of all, my grandfather started the seed collection back about 1932. So uh, we always, I, I mean, I grew up with heirloom plants and seeds, and I essentially inherited that seed okay. collection and then took it from there and, you know, added to it and made it grow um when i was working for dover publications in new york as an editor uh, they asked me to do books I i was actually trained in architecture at university of virginia and i was to edit a series of architecture books for them that didn't work out too well but they had garden books and herbals and that sort of thing They put me on them because nobody in the office knew anything about plants. Well, I did. I grew up with it, (laughs) so um, I started to edit these things and you know, know, uh, Mrs. Grieve and all these classics out there, Eleanor Rohde. and I thought, well, I'm just going to use this information and put it to good use in, in, in the garden in Westchester. So. I commute in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I had big, my grandfather's kitchen garden there, and I just started to commute back and forth, and I was then growing the seed collection out and growing heirloom vegetables, and then I would take them back to New York and sell them during lunch hour
1: <laughs> um, oh, <goodness. laughs> on Garrick
2: Street, and I paid my rent with vegetables, my New York I'm rent, can sure. you imagine. Um, and then I decided, you know, I really... I gradually became a food historian because I realized nobody is doing this. And editing these books um, gave me sort of knowledge that nobody else had. I I started hiring myself out as a consultant, and that became full-time. So you might say in the mid-'70s, I started to do work for Colonial Williamsburg, um, on and on. And then I started to edit the old cookbooks, like the Quaker Woman's Cookbook, and it just snowballed so i sort of became that go to person on food history and that's where i've been so i I'm, you might say i created my job created my job description and then tried to convince the world it needed me
1: <laughs> <laughs> that i i think that that's a great a great story so you took your the foundation of, of what you had learned in your family and, and your family's you know just gardening to to, right. to pretty much feed themselves and turn that into into a, a career
2: yes well my grandfather um really didn't set out to create a collection of rare heirloom plants it was 1932 it was the great depression he had two acres of you know kitchen garden he had time on his hands he was very lucky because um he had money he built his house during the depression with cash so he decided he would feed cousins, and then he he was working on the family genealogy and so his connections with Quaker lines or the old Lancaster county family lines he, he got seeds that way, and it just um, that 's how it happened it, it, he um, It was a very practical reason for how this all got started
1: <laughs> right and and what a great um a great collection it is because you know, are just like building after World War II. Our eating habits changed, and all you know, all of those heirloom lines could could have been lost if he if he had not started that when he did.
2: You're absolutely right yeah. about that because um, we didn't really understand that um, what we had was super rare. I, I mean, I thought everybody's grandparents had kitchen gardens, and their grandmother put up 400 quarts of tomato sauce in August that kind of thing that I grew up with. And then when I um, I went went away to school at UVA with all these so-called southern gentlemen, they didn't know (laughs) anything about food and they didn't know where it came from. And I'm thinking, hello, uh, you guys have really missed out on an awful lot here. And then uh, when I started to offer seeds through Seed Savers Exchange, everybody was pouncing on them. Like where did this come from? This is gold. And then I thought, uh oh, I have my work cut out for me. <laughs> I have to take this serious
1: because right. this, this yeah.
2: stuff is one of a kind. And my grandfather got seeds from Horace Pippin, who was a very well-known uh, African-American folk painter. And some of our most famous Pippin peppers, like the fish pepper, now are all over the internet. But it started with my grandfather. So I'm really grateful. That he um, was uh, he had the foresight to, to save these seeds and he knew that you had to freeze them so he kept them in his deep freeze which is why the seed collection survived after his death because it was a couple of years about 10 years before I got into it so um, anyhow <laughs> that's that was just a stroke of luck, I guess. But
1: um, yes, yeah. It, it it all it all came together the way the way it was supposed to. Yeah. So, um, tell me about how you choose your book topics. You've you've done you know you've written or um, seventeen different books. Like, are there do you choose things that are interesting to you, or how how do you do that?
2: Um, my grandmother gave me some very good advice when I started to deal with the the seeds I I looked at her and I said you know I'm not going to become a millionaire doing this and she said you know is that really important live above money follow your heart that is what I do and when I pick up a book like uh, Quaker woman's cookbook uh, it had a message that needed to be retold and that's why I chose to do it The medieval Cyprus book that I'm working on that's 30 years of love and sweat and research and I'm hoping that now it'll get published because it's written but it's going to rewrite medieval food history and so I I choose topics I suppose I choose underdog topics and I'm often way ahead of the curve I mean like heirloom vegetable gardening nobody right. wanted to publish that book back in the 90s every publisher gave me a pink slip who wants to grow this awful old stuff
1: right and, <laughs> and now, now, you know now it's completely changed uh, Yes. Yeah.
2: completely flipped so um, uh, you know I, that's, I just do what I think is right and, and if the story is important to me in, in terms of my values and my ethics that's where I go so, um, you know my grandmother and great-grandmother were great picklers and I've always been well known for my pickles and so Rizzoli asked me to do a pickling book well that project really came to me in a sense and uh, so it's, I did it and, and they love it so much now they want me to do another book called the Roughwood book of vegetables which will be basically vegetarian recipes so this is a two-part answer to that question yes. sometimes I choose the book and other times they come, the book comes to me if you will.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and 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 it, and as long as it's a good fit it makes sense. Totally. Definitely. Totally. Yeah. Uh, when when you're doing research is there anything that's like jumped out at you that like surprised you or that you discovered while you were doing research that you know was you had thought about something one way and now you know it completely changed the way you thought about the topic you were researching?
2: That's a very good question. Um, actually, every day is kind of a learning curve. And a it is.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, trust me. Um, you know, I think, I think the old Quaker uh, expression, remain teachable, is about the best way to put it, because y- you can't really go into this with preset ideas. You're always going to learn something new. Um, with the Cypress book, I discovered that this manuscript a cookbook from about 1300 the oldest known European cookbook wasn't at all created in uh, Western Europe it was created in Cyprus and I have linguistic proof of that so I mean once I um, learnt, you know that that light bulb came on in my head
1: Right. That
2: just changed the whole way I approached the subject.
1: Right, because you're not looking at Western Europe, then you're Anymore. You're looking, I'm looking yeah. at
2: Greek terms and Greek yeah. food ideas and Byzantine and all of that. So, I mean, that's a very good example of it. But, um, well, I don't know what to say. I'm, um, I, I'm also, I've also written a lot of fiction, and I'm now hoping to get some of that published. So there's the flip side of me that nobody knows much about. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'm working on a pretzel book, uh, the history, the social history of the pretzel. So you, you know, it, it, it's. I'm working on five or six different projects at the same time, and they're. While I could say they're on the back burner, they're still warm, <laughs> and right. uh, I, I keep hitting when I'm looking for one thing. I find information for another project. So, it's this continuously reaping of facts. Yes, I'm. I'm always surprised by what I find. Uh, For example, uh, Elizabeth Goodfellow, who was a very famous confectioner and pastry cook in Philadelphia in the 19th century. And uh, Eliza Leslie was a cookbook writer who published Goodfellow recipes on and on and on. And I always thought, you know, this is very odd. Where did Mrs. Goodfellow learn all of this? Turns out she had an aunt. Who was even better as a pastry cook Mary Newport who died in 1792 and now I'm just like oh my heavens I have a whole nother generation of of women pastry cooks to research and learn more about and and it's like I need another 300 years God (laughs) because I have books to write and I
1: (laughs) I don't want to run out of time <laughs> I, I, <yeah. laughs> no. I, 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 I. You do. You start to start to think about you know the the amount of time that you have and and all the things you want to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so,
2: 72, so you know, I, I can see the clock ticking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I there is a um I had a meeting a couple weeks ago with a former client and he's he's in his early 70s also and he's worky he, he has books. He's like, "I have a lot to get done. I don't have time to." <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I I, I, I think that's a common where he's theme. From. Yeah. So, um when I was looking at your website, I noticed that you have the Keystone Center for the Study of Regional Foods and Tourism. What, what do you do? Well, do you, is it, a, the, is the, it a, key, like a tourism promotion site? No,
2: no. Um, actually, it's about regional foods. We have actually, um, we have to deactivate that. The, the Keystone oh, okay. Center has been collapsed into the roughwoodtable.org, which okay. is the,
1: the,
2: the nonprofit that has been set up. Uh, we have, you might say the, the roughwood table is two, it has two legs. One okay. leg is the um, keystone kitchen, which is the food side, and the other leg is the roughwood seed collection, which is the seed. So it's seed to table, and um, we're going to be doing an awful lot this coming fall and in the, in the coming year to uh, get that message out. So I would say if anyone wants to learn about us, go to roughwoodtable.org because it's all up there. And uh, we're actually reapplying for new um, IRS 501c3 tax status, and then we're going to hit the ground running because we're involved in a massive First Capital Garden project that is going to be t- going to take place on Independence Mall in Philadelphia. So oh,
1: very cool.
2: We're going to be supplying seeds for Native American garden and also for a colonial kitchen garden, on and on and on. So, <laughs> yes. Um, and, and this house that I live in uh, was built as a tavern, but it's, it's a huge old building, and uh, we're going to turn it into a learning center so it's going to go into trust sometime this year okay um, yeah so that's that
1: i'll stay here
2: i'll i'll be able to stay here because there are plenty of rooms i can turn into my own living quarters but you know 28 rooms is an awful lot for one man to dust
1: it Um, is it is (laughs) and and it it's a lot to to keep after i'm sure
2: oh well and it's also on the national register it's been there since 1985 so it, is, uh, it has the credibility and all of the, 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 the documents it needs to, to get restoration grants and that kind of thing. And that's really what this building deserves because yes. it's an architectural gem. So uh, uh, the board understands that. It's just this takes time. Just it does. It
1: time. does. And, and the, the grant writing process and all of those, that really makes sense from a, from a building preservation standpoint also. Right.
2: And we yeah. have a grant writer already whos and I he mean—he's got it all laid out. So we're—we're um, we're in this. You might say we're on the cusp of new things. Um, so just—well,
1: that sounds very exciting. Yeah. All, all, all of that. Um, and um, well, I was thinking about the—I think the pairing when you were talking about the Independence Hall Garden that makes the pairing of the Native American and the colonial kitchen that makes sense also because there was, you know, that cross that cross. Oh definitely. um,
2: Well I was going to say what a lot of people don't realize is that when George Washington was holed up at Valley Forge Park, he ran out of food. The Oneida Indians were allies of the colonies, not of the English. They sent their people down to, to Valley Forge. They walked Oneida flower corn. The Valley Forge. They brought Oneida women with them, and they taught the soldiers how to cook it. They saved the day for George Washington. Otherwise, the army would have starved. And right. we we forget that it was the Indians who helped us win that war, and uh, they belong right there on the mall
1: yeah I agree about <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so uh when you're when you're out talking to people about the heirloom seeds or or about your different recipes and things, do you find that you know people are connecting with the historic recipes because of you know memories of their grandparents or other family members, or um, is it more yes, just the I interest would, in the history
2: well it you know that's a mixed bag okay it, when i'm for example, when I'm in Denver and I'm talking to people about heirlooms, and I say "old," oh, um, they're thinking like 1920s or 1960s. Right. And I'm from Philadelphia. Old to me is 1600s.
1: Right. Yeah. It does. It does matter what part of the country you're in.
2: <laughs> exactly. So, um, it's it's like okay, we've got to get our semantics worked out here because um, I mean heirlooms. I mean the 1600s and the. 1920s and 30s, they're all part of the same story. It's just um, In each part of the country has a different idea of what's important. I mean, if you want to talk down in South Carolina about heirlooms, they want to talk rice and okra and things like that. So there's a lot of regionalization to that story, which is good. Because, right. Um, we need to regionalize our food more. And what I'm finding is that there are an awful lot of people who come up to me and say, I wish I'd talked to my grandparents more. I wish I'd learned more about the way granny cooked. And I'm really sorry that I didn't. And you're lucky that you, you, you know, grew up as a little right. kid with your grandparents. And so there is this uh, sense of loss. And people are trying to, like, recover um, their past through heirlooms because they're great teaching tools for kids. The other thing is that the so-called X generation or the younger kids never grew up with heirlooms. I mean, their parents were in the 50s. What did they eat all every day?
1: Out of cans. A fish
2: casserole, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And and so this is like a new magical world of wonderful stuff. So I'm really hopeful because we've got all these wonderful young people who are really energized about it, about heirloom plants and, and going back to the garden and growing your yeah. own things. Yeah. And the pickling book is a very good example of this because, first of all, people got, a, you know, got involved in the heirloom seed movement, grow your own food. Well, okay, now you've got a garden full of veggies. What do you do with them? So right. I, have, yeah. I have the pickles because now pickling is back in, home pickling.
1: Yes, and 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 you know, all of that canning and making yep. making jams totally. and jellies, yeah. And those are things that I did with my grandparents, you know. So like I I, I can see why, and, and I don't think that that was very typical when I did it. So you know, yeah. it is it, it's a it's a it's a loss. It, it was a definitely a, a, a something that was being lost. My um, I, when you were talking about like people having that sense of loss and wondering, you know, it made me think about my um, my husband's. Um, family is from Lancaster County they pretty much got here and never left and um, his um, his grandmother gave me as my um, bridal shower present the uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it the Mennonite cookbook oh yeah and um her the woman that wrote that um went to uh college with with my husband's great aunt and so she would come up to their farm and that's where she was like working on the recipes and stuff. so i got this whole like written out like who was involved in everything in the front of the cookbook so you know you do those those that, that um, connection and those family history you know it really does yeah. um
2: that book um, was written by show walter um, yes and i met her years ago when she was an old lady um, you know, it's interesting because uh, that cookbook, in many ways, has become a substitute grandmother for an awful lot of people.
1: It it does. When I when I when I need a, a recipe, I'm like, if it's not in there, you know, I have a couple other cookbooks. My kitchen's full of cookbooks, but mm-hmm. that you know, that's my, typically typically my go to, especially if I know it's like an older recipe. And they're right. and the. Recipes are still good. I don't even. I know they now have an updated, you know, with updated measurements, but right. I never have any problem with with the measurements oh, the way they were. She's pretty
2: straightforward with her yeah. recipes. Yep. Uh, she usually yeah, has so. three or four different ways of doing the same thing, which is nice.
1: Yes. Yes. So I just I, when you said that, it made me think that yeah, that connection, and you do have those 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 connections there. So um, your your website mentions that you have you know. Four, over 4,000 heirloom vegetables, flowers, and herb garden. I was wondering what you did with all that produce, but I, I'm sure you pickle it. But do you sell some of it then well, too, or?
2: To be honest with you, we probably have close to 7,000.
1: Oh goodness, okay.
2: Yeah, uh, we honestly don't know what we've got because we're got one of the one of the uh, goals of this fundraiser. Is that we're going to pay an archivist to go through the collection and archive it, <laughs> so oh, we know what we yeah. have and where it is. Um, well, I'll tell you. As for produce seed, seed saving isn't the same as production farming for food. Right. Uh, we tend, for example, if we have a, a 50 row, 50 foot row of tomatoes that we're growing out for seed. If there are plants that are not completely growing true, they get pulled up and destroyed. Um, we give that we give those away. Um, the tomatoes, for example, that are the most perfect from that 50-foot row, they go into seeds.
1: We so are you you're gro- you're growing them to for the like for the traits? Yes. Is that Precisely. is that I understand that correctly? Okay.
2: So. Um, we have some chefs on our not on our foundation board, and they come and they take the chopped up tomatoes and they make sauce with it that kind of thing um there is a there is discussion that perhaps we should brand some roughwood veggies and sell them uh we don't have the land to do that right we don't have enough hands to do that so um that probably will happen, but not this year or next year. Right. We, we have to have space. Uh, we need 50 acres, let's put it that way. And we live in suburban Philadelphia. I mean, with two and three million bucks an acre, there's no way we can buy Right.
1: <laughs> um, and then you have so, to bring people in to grow it.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what we're doing, uh, even with the seeds, we don't have enough room. Okay. Uh, we're, we have farmed out seeds uh, with different growers all over the country, people that have signed a contract with us, and we trust them, and we know that they, kn- they know what they're doing when it comes to seed saving, and we give them protocols. In other words, we tell them, this is what you should look for. If the traits are off, we don't want you to save seed from those, right. et cetera. We have a farm in under contract in Uruguay, in South America, and those are native uh, there are Indians uh, who don't want GMOs or any kind of outside, oh yes. uh, you know, uh, crops destroying their native uh, pro- uh, plants, um, so they're completely isolated and they grow for us and uh, they're wonderful people to work with. We have import permits, so we're completely legal, uh-huh. um, uh, so they don't get frost, which means we can do a corn crop four times a year. And bring our corn seed up to commercial scale, rather than just having enough for ten people, we could have enough for you know a thousand.
0: Right, um, right. So
2: that's kind of what we're doing right now. And our seed collection manager, Stephen Smith, has been—he is the wizard of Oz who's pulling all the strings to make this this happen. He is also part Cherokee, so he has extremely good relationships with Native American seed savers the flowers well we I was uh, back breeding you might say um, dahlias to resemble the uh, antique dahlias of the 19th century that are extinct so we have a dahlia collection that's really quite impressive you might call it the Jurassic Park of dahlias (laughs) Um, um, so uh, because we take heirloom varieties and we we get into the genetic material and we find breeding parents, that kind of thing. It's a little bit complicated to talk about, but we know what we're doing. Um, So, uh, And also, Stephen and his father are judges for the American Daylily Society. So we're going to uh, eventually, uh, the perennial beds here at Roughwood will be daylilies, and we're going to be a daylily showcase. Um, Hello, that makes money for the (laughs) nonprofit. People right. Pay to right. Come and see the lilies, and we can sell them. So, um, what we're trying to do long term is establish a number of cash revenues for the for the nonprofit. Of course, we're selling seed wholesale to Baker Creek, heirloom seed company, and a large portion of our money comes from royalties off of that. But we, we need to diversify because it's it's healthy uh, for a nonprofit to have that kind of financial diversity so we yeah, want to that do really makes sense
1: stuff. to me from a business standpoint yes
2: yes yeah. you have to have a business model otherwise you go yeah. down the tubes
1: yeah yeah so you've talked uh, about your your seed your rough wood seed collection so you sell it through other um, you, you sell we're, it like
2: we're selling through,
1: the, through the people that you have licensed but then you're you're also working on developing it more is that right
2: correct? actually what we're doing is um, we're selling wholesale to baker creek and heirloom seed company and you can i guess you type in my name william ways weaver when you go to their online catalog and up pops everything that they have that comes from us um but also we have an online seed store at you go to the roughwoodtable.org and we have a store there and we sell directly to people Oh, uh, We don't have a lot to sell right now because we're right in the middle of, uh, well, the end of the planting season, and we'll, have, we'll start getting our seed crops in September, October, November. So uh, fall is the time, if you want to buy, buy, buy okay. soon, because we have a lot of rare stuff that sells out. I mean, uh, some things we have put up on Monday, and they're gone by Wednesday. It's, it's amazing. That's, so,
1: that's great.
2: Yeah. But it's good. It's kind of a, yeah, a good yeah. problem uh, because there's a demand for it, um, so those are the two. Oh, we also sell seeds when we go out and do, um, you know, uh, promotions. Uh, I'll do a lecture, and then Stephen will set up a table, and we we sell our heirloom seed jewelry and books about uh, our regional foods, um, just a variety of things. So that's what, that. Uh, like when we went out to Landis Valley, and you saw that, we were selling the seeds out there. Yes. So yes. that's that's another avenue of contact with the public. We'd lo- We are definitely interested in in having more interface with uh, the public.
1: Well, and yeah, I think that what, the more people that know about you, I think people will be excited because it is it is very, it's very unique, and it's also you know it it is the trends you know the farm table and all right. that. The, the, those are all the trends that are that are well, that I see. Also, see. In, in
2: to the, see uh, Stephen got the idea that why are we throwing out the seeds that are no longer viable? He, he gave them to a jeweler, and she makes this spectacular jewelry out of beans and corn and what have you. Oh, that's
1: you. fun, yes. Yeah.
2: And they're beautiful, and we, we give when someone buys one of those pieces of jewelry, they get the story of that seed with it. So they become one of our seed missionaries. How's that? <laughs> I think that's.
1: I think that's. I think that's really. It's. You. It seems like you are developing something that's sustainable that can continue yes. on, and also, you know, you have your multiple streams of revenue that will help, you know, stabilize and and be, allow right. you to then, you know, continue continue this mission. Right. And, and, we, all, and I, I think all? that that's the best the best plan.
2: Yes. We, of course, being a nonprofit, we are always eager for donations. So that's <laughs> the other side of it.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So do you, um, do you see any challenges in preservation, you know, whether it be you know the, the seeds or building or any, any type of preservation? You can take that however you would like.
2: Um, well, right now we're stymied because our income really isn't uh, helping helping us support the number of uh, helping hands that we need. We really would like to have three full-time employees and we just don't have the money yet to do right. that. And we want to pay them fair money so that yeah. they can, you know, earn a living and, and and not worry about their rent and all that kind of right. thing. Right. Um, so that's, that's one of our immediate problems. Um, one of the other problems is Um, this crazy GMO corn Um, we we are really limited where we can grow um, our Native American corn where it won't be uh, polluted by pollen from all because it'll pollinate it. yes and um, for example uh, the Delaware Indians who lived in this region had 19 varieties of corn the Delawares who managed to survive all of the dislocations and ended up in Oklahoma have only two. So this will give you some idea of the kind of huge cultural loss that they, right. all of these Indians have experienced. Well, we have been able to recover at least 8 to 10 of those, those 19.
1: Oh, that's uh, great.
2: Yeah. And um, we want to grow these where they're safe from being um, You know crossed with GMOs and these other hybrids and it's really hard to find a place that's not downwind from that fortunately there is a uh, property in Bryn Mawr that belongs to some uh, Quaker sisters who inherited it and it's it's um, 37 acres and it's isolated so we're doing corn down there and uh, but we can't do you know 20 acres we have to do a patch just to keep right. the varieties going. So we're looking for um, places to grow out corn. That's one of the that's one of our ongoing issues. And also, we inherited from the Nanticoke. So that's another regional tribe around here. Um, a, a squash collection, which is the largest Native American squash collection extant, and we need room. Uh, and pl- and um, expertise with people to help us grow out those squash and hand pollinate and, and uh, get and recover them because some of them came to us cross, So they're.
1: Oh, so you all have to go backwards. Up.
2: Yeah, and so you get five things when you think you're going to get one and that kind of thing. But it's not impossible to, to sort that out. But it's Right. Like, um, these are issues that we have on the table and we just don't have the money right now. To, to tackle it the way we want to but um, anyhow
1: yeah but a, that, and 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 i'm sure with all the other exciting things you're doing you know these th- those are challenges but you know once yeah. you have everything else the we, way you want it I, I i don't think that those are insurmountable
2: no um, we we also yeah. need a greenhouse or a couple and we also need a place to store the seed collection so, I mean, but th- this is all part of what the fundraising is all about and what our, um, what, what our fundraiser uh, is, you know, writing up reports. So it'll all, it'll all fall into place. But yes. in the meantime, yes. you know, <laughs> we worry like mom over the new baby kind of thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. Yeah. So how, how, can our, how can our listeners get, get in contact with you? Well, if
2: you have questions about heirloom seeds, I would just say contact us through roughwoodseed.org. Okay. And um, and then um, if it's a plant question, we are, you know, our 501c3 is not agricultural. It is educational. We right. are a cultural institution. We exist to teach and for outreach. So if you've got questions, we are here to answer them. And so... I would say to your listeners, um, use us as the go-to place. If you have a question about growing one of your heirloom plants, we can, we can walk you through it. Okay, so very good. It. And
1: I'll make sure that your website is on, um, is on our website when we, yes. when we post it. Yes, and also
2: so, uh, yeah. they can buy seeds from us. That helps.
1: Yes, yes, and I'll make sure that that link goes out also, the the link for for buying seeds. And then did you have any, I know you have your book coming out this fall, uh, your pickling book, but do you have any other presentations or other ways that people can get involved?
2: Well, I would say um, with this uh, vegetable book, I'm going to be buried during recipes, but I'm supposed to be At the heirloom seed expo in Santa Rosa in September with the pickle book it uh, they're going to try and get advanced copies early okay so we'll birth the baby there have a big book signing and I'll be giving lectures at the um, at the expo Uh, we're working on what it is I'm going to say right now but I can tell you there will probably be a some kind of a big lecture and then I'll be doing panels so if people want to interact directly with me, they and they're out in the West Coast, come to Santa Rosa and attend that. Stephen will also be there, and we'll have our heirloom seed jewelry,
1: which always. Oh, very, very good. Okay, well, and I'll make sure that link is also on the site so that people yep. can people can find you. Did yep. you have anything else that I didn't ask you about, or that you wanted to share?
2: No, this is fine. I'm so okay. happy we finally were able to connect. Yes, I am I'm,
1: I, I'm, I'm really grateful that, you, that you were, this worked for your schedule and we were able to connect.
2: Yep. Good.
1: Okay, thank you very much.
2: You're welcome. Bye.
1: Bye. Okay, we'll, we'll cut the um, recording off here, and um, I'll get this up next week, and I'll send you the link. Should I send it to Sarah also?